the incomparable. Number 328, November 2016. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. We are going to do an unusual thing, semi-unusual thing for The Incomparable, which is talk about a movie that is in theaters now as we record this. It is November 2016, and a film released in this very month is on (laughs) our agenda. We are going to talk about Arrival, uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve and starring... Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner, along with Forrest Whitaker and some other interesting people, based on the Ted Chang story, Story of Your Life, which uh, I should uh, I should look up. We discussed it, that story and his entire collection in uh, in an early episode of The Incomparable, episode number 20, nope, 32, 32. You can go back to number 32 and hear past us talk about that. Uh, joining me to talk about Arrival are these three lovely people. Aline Sims, hello. Hello. It's good to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to to talk about this amazing movie I loved. Spoilers. John Syracuse is also here, is, was, will be, something like that. Hi, John. Yeah, it kind of seems like I've always been here, and yet I haven't arrived yet. Hmm. Glenn Fleischman was joining us and always joins us. Hi, Glenn. Hi. I can't tell you how hard it was when we were talking about the stories a few years ago to not mention this episode, but I did it. I pulled it off. That's good. That's good. Heptapod B. And of course, I don't know why, of course, he saw the movie and <laughs> wanted to talk about it. It's Joe Steele. Hi, jo- Hi, Joe. Hello. You were one of the motivators for me to finally pull the trigger on, on this because you're like, I have things I would like to say. I'm like, all right, so do I. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. Now, our friend Erica Ensign can't be here because she's traveling. Uh, we're recording this just before Thanksgiving, and she is traveling to the United States for Thanksgiving. Uh, but but at, at a key moment, we will interject uh, something that she wanted to make known about oh, this film. So That's everybody, exciting. Everybody stay tuned. Stay tuned for that. Uh, it's a it's a good observation. It's actually in the re- first review of it I read. actually made a very similar observation, and it's very good. So this is a movie, like uh, so many, about aliens appearing on Earth. And uh, you can probably guess what will happen next. And uh, pretty much none of those things happen. I think that's that's my opening statement is one of the... I, I mean, I knew what was going to happen because I read the short story five years ago. But uh, I really enjoy how it's on one level, it's like 50 other movies. And yet when you go <laughs> below that level, it is not like very many other movies at all. Um I, I really like that about it. What did you all? What did you all? Uh, what did you all think about the, uh, the 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 concept of this of this movie? The basic concept. Well, Glenn? I'm a huge fan of the uh, the short story. I'd say the story um, is which I reread after seeing the film. I didn't want to spoil my memory. Uh, all that gets into the whole film itself. I didn't want to remember too well what I was about to see. Uh, and um, it's a story that I think about all the time. Like I would say not a month goes by that the story doesn't pop up in my thoughts in some ways or I'm reminded by it um, over the many years since I first read it because it um, it has this resonance to me about, you know, especially since becoming a parent, because I think there's something deep in a story of your life about parenthood, um, but um, also it's a rollicking sci-fi story that has really interesting elements that are almost unique to the story that you almost don't see in the whole of science fiction, which is kind of a Ted Chang thing that he that he does. He has so many stories that are almost sui generis. You don't, you know, you're like, have I read that anywhere else? Like, no, no, not exactly. So watching it in the movie, I had that 
meta sensation of kind of knowing what the whole movie was going to be about, which is perfect for this film, but not really knowing what I was, uh, what I was about to see. So I had that overlay, um, on it as well. I went into this, I knew nothing about it. I hadn't read the short story. I don't even know if I knew there was a short story. I hadn't seen a trailer. Uh, I I just had a bunch of friends who saw it and were like, wow, that was astounding. Uh, so I, one of them being you, Jason. So I texted my husband from like in the middle of my class that I was teaching. I was like, hey, you want to go see this movie tonight? Um, and so we went and saw it and I loved it so much. There's so much that is extremely well done. Um, and I, I do have some quibbles, but by and large, mm. the the entire thing I thought was really, really beautiful, um, both from like a, a, a cinematic mood setting standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I thought Amy Adams was absolutely amazing. She did such a great job in that role. Um, I felt a little betrayed that I saw a Jeremy Renner movie, but I, I got past that <laughs> and, um, I, I really loved it. Like I walked out of there, my husband, we do a rating system when we see movies or whatever. And he was like, okay, so how many stars? And I was like, this is a solid, like four and a half star movie for me. It is one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. Um, he is wrong. He gave it in three and a half, but it is one of the best movies that I have seen. In <laughs> three and ages. a half. You said he trashed it. Three and a half is not trashing it. He no 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 no. He didn't trash it. Um, but he didn't love it on the level that I did, and I think part of that is some of the stuff that Erica wanted to bring up that we'll talk about after the spoiler horn goes off. So sure. um, um, but yeah, I think from a gender perspective, from seeing people represented in movies who are like me, this did better than any movie that I've seen in maybe ever. Um, but we'll talk about that later. I just learned uh, that there will be a spoiler horn coming up, so <laughs> I will pilot this ship accordingly. Joe, do you have any initial thoughts that you want to share about uh, Arrival? Uh, like Aline, I had not read the short story, and if I ever listened to the incomparable episode about it, I completely forgot, which is how I, I do most of the book episodes, and then I usually uh, remember that I wanted to read something based on what you had talked about, and eventually get around to it. We call that the modified McNulty rule, which is you uh, <laughs> you, you for, even forget about listening to podcasts about books you might read. Yeah, and, and so it, it worked out okay in terms of I like the movie, but now I, I've tried to go back and read the book. I didn't manage before uh, this podcast, though. And I know going into it that uh, the two are not directly related in enough of a way that it would seriously impact my movie-going experience. Um, so I'm, I, I am kind of uh, happy that I did get the, the fresh take on it. I wasn't worried about... Uh, any sort of divergence from from the plot of the book and i i should specify it's not even a book it's a short story it's about 70 pages long in in a a collection of short stories called stories of your life and others but the actual story story of your life it's about 70 pages long it's not it's it's not not even it's not quite a novella right it's like maybe it's a short novella but it's it's short story feeling Mm -hmm. yeah i just started with the beginning of the book and there's like some babylon tower thing oh yeah that's that's a pretty good story but they're not related you don't you don't actually have to read them in any order i like that one too that one's weird he's a he's a good writer i like i just wanted to get some context all right uh, the uh you will get none but still no uh and i i I like the execution of this movie like aline said uh i do have some quibbles Mm -hmm. with it uh particularly in terms of execution of some hair or something um okay yeah uh but the uh overall i have really positive feelings about about uh what i saw and i think part of that is the the film's optimistic uh uh 
tone that it sets um, in, in spite of uh, certain bittersweet moments that you might have in your life. So I, I really uh, look forward to discussing that. All right. Uh, See, I'm, it's like I'm drawing opening statements out of people who have none. John, do you have, you have some initial thoughts before we blow the spoiler horn? I guess I'm the third one who also didn't read the short story and may or may not have listened to the incomparable episode about it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did, but I think like it's, wasn't it one of those ones where you, you talk about a lot of things, and I think yeah. you maybe managed to talk about this story without actually spoiling it. Because yeah, I, I think that's well, probably about it. Yeah, I think we talked about the flavor, the shape of it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know how it was going to turn out. Basically, it's not like I was watching. Go, oh yeah, I kind of know how this is going to turn out. Like I didn't, I didn't, I had, I had no memory of it uh, at all. Um, and I and. Uh, like Elaine, I mostly went to it based on uh, Jason's raves, <laughs> and a couple other people said mm. good things about it too. But you were raving about it. I'm like, all right, well then, I guess we'll go. We took the whole family because I figured, what the heck? Uh, although uh, my daughter was bored by it. Because yeah, maybe I, 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 yeah, I, I, we didn't take the kids because I figured that they would probably be bored. Yeah, it's a little slow, but uh, but anyway, um, I, I, I had seen the trailers, a little bit of the trailers. I had avoided any spoilers. I wasn't spoiled for this movie, um, and and I wanted to see it. Kind of in the same way I see a lot of movies where I feel like I want to support the kind of movie I like to see made. And even if I didn't like uh, this movie at all, I'm like, well, it's one of those kind of seems like serious character driven sci-fi stories. And I'm, I wish there was more of those. Like, it doesn't always have to be, you know, a Marvel movie where you're blowing up aliens or even like a space opera or Star Wars. Like, you know, just plain old sci-fi movies. It's just not enough of those. But the reason I see Oblivion, even though it's not great, you know, just like <laughs> I'll, I'll watch... I'll watch almost anything that, that promises to be a semi-serious sci-fi movie. And I thought this movie was executed in an interesting way and told a story that I hadn't seen, you know, told in movies that often. Um, I think I liked it probably less than everybody else's opinion I've ever heard so far. But I totally want there to be more movies like this. And I appreciate a lot of things about this movie. It's just that the story in the end doesn't hold together for me but john can i ask you one question about the film which is Mm -hmm. if you had this reaction which was that the depiction of like setting stuff up in a tent and the kind of stuff that computers were doing seemed actually okay (laughs) like it it struck me as not exaggerating the potential even though we can tell it's maybe slightly in the future i'm not sure maybe tiny bit that um it felt realistic and earthy that was that's the least of my concerns. Like at this point, I'm so so willing to you know they, it was beneath the level of my concern. Like you have to really be egregiously terrible at at showing technology for me to notice at this point. And they, I mean, it was fine. I, I think I noticed a little bit of the idea of like the beautifully designed graphics showing when when people in other countries were disconnected as a as a movieism that jumped out a little bit. But that, hmm. I, I have no. That's not part of what I. Uh, the problems I have with this movie, I can't really talk about without spoiling it. I only bring it up because the I, I feel like there's a, some science fiction movies are spoiled for me now because I feel like some of the fundamental stuff they're showing, not just the technology, but the kind of interaction and what things are expected to do, break it for me so much I can't get over the suspension of disbelief. There's too much hand wavium without enough story mm. underneath it. In this case, I felt like they, they depicted technology realistically and very plainly in the middle of what was a very technologically sophisticated thing happening, and that to me made the movie more, it felt more real to me it didn't feel as distant yeah they had they had a light touch with all that stuff like they weren't uh, the entire movie had a light touch which i uh, appreciated where they weren't going to uh tell the, like the events that took place uh and very often were like oh i've seen a scene like this in 50 sci-fi movies but they weren't shown the way they're normally shown and the things they would you would expect them to dwell on they're like 
actually, that's not what we really care about in this movie. I mean, the whole the opening of the movie is, is is a great tell because it doesn't open with, you know, ominous thrumming and and uh, pictures of space <laughs> and aliens. Like it's it's a human story. It starts with it with the, the, our main character narrating, and it's about her for the entire movie essentially. And she she tells a story, and it, like it starts the same way you can imagine, like a family drama starting mm-hmm. or something. You know what I mean? Like that, and that that's how the movie plays throughout and it's almost it's almost incidental that there's this this alien sci-fi angle to it It really is a character-driven story and you know like i said this is i would love to see more movies like this because i think this is a great combination of you know serious character-driven story with a sci-fi setting thrown in shot in an interesting way so before we before we dive into spoilers there are a couple other topics that i wanted to at least mention that i think are are kind of free of the plot of this movie and that's this this movie has some plot uh i don't know if i want to say twists but it has some surprises throughout that i think uh it's better i think aline's suggestion that we use the spoiler horn is 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 a good one although it one of the things i will say now is it i don't feel like this is a puzzle box movie where the goal is to solve the puzzle or be surprised by the puzzle i think it's an enjoyable story all the way through um even though there are surprises as it goes uh, but i really wanted to bring up um i wanted to bring up the i i could say direction i could say cinematography it this i think this movie looks really good and then also the music it sounds really good just on those levels i think the pacing of it the way it's shot especially a lot of this takes place out in a field i mean there's like there's a there's a house on a lake and there's which is beautiful but there's this field in montana or wyoming or wherever they are out out in the out in the plains there's this field with a big spaceship hovering over it sort of and it's just the slow camera movements and beautiful beautifully shot and i just think it's a beautiful looking movie and a very restrained movie uh, and I, I talking about John's John saying I want to I want to have more movies like this. Uh, there are so many, especially genre movies that are not restrained, and this mm-hmm. is a very restrained movie. You can see the sort of discipline of we're going to take our time, we're going to move slow, we're not going to push this too fast. And I really I really liked all of that in the look and the feel of it. I'm I'm so glad you said restrained because I was thinking restraint was the thing is it's quiet in spots. They yeah. take their time. The alien ships are not fancy. We don't know anything about how they work, really. It's not important. Um, it reminds me of some 1960s sci-fi films. There's some really elaborate stuff in the 60s that goes way over the top, of course. But then there's a few quieter films that are very spare and restrained, some avant-garde movies that aren't even sci-fi, but they're slightly magical, realistic, where things happen and unfold in a way that doesn't seem entirely linear. Um, I was thinking particularly of the original Solaris, which is um, more active and has more kind of a sci-fi vibe to it than this film does, even though this film has aliens in it, but it has moments in Solaris. There's just this kind of repetitive thing or a quietness or someone staring, and it has more power because it's not frenetic. It's wonderful. I would also draw some similarities, I guess, to contact if people are, you know, thinking about yeah. uh, di- Con- Contact things. was much more yeah. conventional than this, though. Much more Zemeckisy. Yeah, but uh, it's it's still the kind of story they're trying to tell about a person and uh their interaction with something beyond um it, it's not it's not as uh uh space opera-esque uh yeah it took itself seriously it was serious sci-fi mm-hmm. i mean yeah. i think they diverge widely at in terms of how much they care about character versus how much they care about the science uh but but both of them i would file as serious sci-fi movies 
uh, made essentially for adults. Um, it's just that I, I, you know, I, I feel like contact is so much more conventional in terms of just how everything is shot, uh, how everything is lit, uh, the the events that take place, the music, everything about it. This is Arrival is almost more like an art house uh, movie compared to Contact. Yeah, but they they are in terms of most. What movie is this movie most like? I that's probably what I would say is Contact, and the only other alternative i could i could come up with is probably a christopher nolan movie like memento or the prestige which are which are very different movies and yet there's something about the vibe of this that reminded me of some of those the non-batman <laughs> christopher <laughs> nolan movies uh i don't know that those those are the best ones that i could come up with but i think contact is probably the the most comparable ha, ooh, yeah uh, not not movie. in terms of execution of no, course no, but, no yeah but... mm. You should watch well, Solaris because I think that was a good comparison. The original Solaris. No, it's just I, I, yeah, I find it, I find it kind of beautiful and and gentle in a lot of ways that you know so many movies assault us, and it's nice to <laughs> feel like again, this is a like uh, I think this is what John is getting at. This is this is a sci-fi movie for adults. Like it is, it is defiantly for adults. It's not for bring the whole family. I think even though you can, I mean, there's not. I mean, other than some language, you, it's fine. I just think kids will be kind of bored, and I think teenagers will probably be bored bored by it too because it's well, about like I, I feelings think, I think and a, things. An older kid can get wrapped up in it because it's it's one of those movies where like it's slow, but if you get caught up in it, that slowness, that's hmm. that's tension. That's like you're you're looking at every. You have enough time to stare at like the little rough texture on the edge of the little tunnel going up into the ship. You oh, have yeah. enough time to think about these things and to dwell on them and to and to look at the mist covering the field and like I feel like. Kind of like, I don't want to say like Jaws, but kind of like a lot of the older movies from decades past where they were slow paced. And if they don't grab you, it's just like a boring movie. But if they do grab you, that slow pace is like you just feel like you're being pulled along by a string through the whole movie. And you just you just can't wait to see it unfold. Oh, I've got another comp, by the way, that I'm going to throw in here. The slowness and restraintness actually reminded me of Unbreakable a little bit, which is a movie I love. Oh, yeah. There's there's definitely a Shyamalan-y thing here. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The, the, good, the good kind. The good kind. Not yeah. the kind where there's an elevator that's the devil. <laughs> and by the way, you said you didn't think this was a puzzle box movie, and I agree. It's not. You're not trying to like figure it out. But I feel like the turn in this movie. I wouldn't call it the twist. I would call it the turn. Yeah. The turn in this movie because I didn't know anything about the short story. I really appreciate it because I felt like it. Uh, it kind of like blossomed as I realized what they were doing. Right. In a pleasant way. Uh, in in a way that made me appreciate that like, I think that was the high point of the movie for me when I when I realized what they were doing like you know around the turn part kind of went a little bit downhill after that but when I realized what they were doing timeline wise kind of like uh, another thing that uh, that's uh, another piece of media that we won't talk about because we don't want to spoil that in uh, this particular podcast uh, yeah. I I appreciated <laughs> that I'm like a big smile came across my face I'm like very well done because then you you know it just ripples backwards and you realize what the whole opening of the movie and what they were getting at it was like good job i felt like giving them a little bit of applause there and that's a pleasant sensation better than the aha didn't you know the twist was whatever like it was totally even the even the twist was gentle the twist was a turn yeah no you're right this does uh the film does exactly what the story does. I mean, that's one of the qualities it captures, which we can talk about more after the spoiler horn. But it diffuses what you learn uh, sort of backwards and forward in time. So it actually 
rebuilds in your mind what you think you've just read or seen. And the film did it, I want to say, almost perfectly. They had to structure it differently. In the in the story, some of the stuff comes later. They don't she doesn't want he doesn't want to um I think give you too much of that information, but you have to present it visually. You have to clue people in because otherwise it would be a sudden twist and it wouldn't make sense. So the way they kind of rippled it in the film, I think, was the perfect uh cinematic analog to what the story unfolded as. All right. I am going to now play a uh, a transcript of the alien language as heard in the movie Arrival. No, it's actually, it's just the spoiler horn, but they're similar. Here it is. Okay. Whew. Boy, that's... Can you spoiler. write that out? Oh, yeah. It's, it's It makes a circle <laughs> with... Anyway. Uh, I need to see the spoiler horn so I can understand what the spoiler horn is trying to say. Yeah. Mm. Okay. All all spoilers have been cleared now. We can now talk about what happened, what happens in this movie. Um, and, you know, it's the thing, knowing, having read the story, the very beginning of the movie, I actually said this to Lauren when we were walking out to the car at the end. Um, I said, it's there in the first line. Like the first line of the movie is, I used to think that your story began here. But now I'm not so sure, right? <laughs> and so it's it's there from the beginning. And what a move. I mean, I guess up, maybe up's a comp too here. What a move to have the first part of this movie. It's like, hey, we're going to go see a movie about aliens. And it's, no, it's actually about a mother caring for her dying child. And then the child dies. Wow. Okay. That's that's where we start. Oh, I was balling. Two minutes. A friend of mine said she'd said I I cried heavily three times during the film. I was crying two minutes in. I was like, oh, they already just totally got their hooks in me. I was crying during the during the trailers. Glenn, take that. Just <laughs> <laughs> because they were bad. They were Those bad. movies aren't that bad. Oh, you got it. There we go. No, it is. It is well because what it sets it, as the tone of uh, of the movie is you are watching a story of a woman who is trying to piece her life back together after a horrible tragedy which is not what the movie is that you're actually watching. <laughs> and it's it's interesting to me because there are a lot of, um, I don't know, parallels isn't exactly the right word, but there are things that I can very deeply relate to. I have several several sets of friends who have actually lost their daughters to childhood cancer. Um, and I have like been there and supported them through that. Um, and I have been there in the aftermath of that and watching them do that work. And so I was like, oh, wow. Okay. And I also teach college classes. And so watching her go to school and like having this, this level of empathy for her is she's like, I think, you know, trying, trying to teach students and move on with her life and, you know, go home and talk with her mom and like all of this stuff. I'm like, you know, how, how does life feel after that, you know, from, from her perspective. And so I was like, I can't imagine teaching class, you know, after my daughter died and, and, and keeping it together and, and teaching about languages and, and how do you find your purpose in that? And, you know, like all of those things. So it was like immediately I was like, oh, wow, this is right in the feels, right in the feels, right off the bat. I also thought of up and I was also thinking during that whole section, where is the other parent for this child? And it was like, you know, yeah. first I'm like, is this just bad movie making where they, did, they didn't cast that part and it's not important? And then I'm like, well, no, this is just more part of her very tragic story that she's been raising this girl alone and she has to help this girl die alone. Like, you know, that's part of the tragedy of it is that and uh, and I like the fact that my my questions and puzzling about that were nicely and logically answered later in the movie, you know, after the turn. 
they're addressed in the middle because at one point there's that scene where she's helping her daughter do her homework and says, yeah, says if, you want, father, if yeah. you want science, yeah. ask your father. Yep. And that's like, like that he's out of the picture. Like, yeah. the, you know, the, you know, they split so hard that he's just didn't want to have anything to do with the daughter anymore. Or, you know, like, yeah, I mean, they, they, that's that's the I where I consider the turn to have happened is probably way before the movie thinks it's revealing it because <laughs> they did leave lots of clues. And, well, yeah. Right. So Your every, every little piece is like, right? yeah. oh, exactly. You know, I mean, and, and also law of conservation of characters and so on and so forth. But I it doesn't matter where it occurs. I think it was it was. It was nice. It was. This is a sturdily constructed turn. Yeah. That no matter where you get it is satisfying and, um, and yeah, and all it really helps that all of those scenes work, uh, both before you know and they work after. And it's not like they only work after or totally. they they you know like it's just it's just good movie making. You know. I, w- yeah. I want to ask folks who hadn't read the story. I didn't even understand this, Aileen, until you just said it. Is when the first scenes came up, I was so wrapped up in seeing the story I love on screen, and I was, and I understood the time sequence because I'd read it. So the daughter, we see her, you know, dying, and then the mother's at, you know, Louise is teaching. I never thought about that as the emotional reaction of her daughter just died, like the chronological sequence, and she's back teaching, and this is why she looks sort of morose because yeah. I knew the order of things had happened, and it never struck me until you just, it didn't strike me until you just said that. Yeah, and and how does she process the, the arrival of aliens? It's like you're you're thinking when you watch that scene, it's all about that she's coping with this loss, right. and that's not actually right. what you're seeing. Yeah, because it's very traditionally it, it, in terms of the mechanics of traditional movie making, these would be flashbacks because we haven't seen the rest of the movie yet. So <laughs> uh, that that Absolutely. only makes logical sense if you if you're not familiar with the story. Uh, and one of the other interesting things that they did in these uh, flash forward flashbacks is that they uh she looks exactly the same they didn't do any aging makeup or uh other touch-up work or anything she always looks like amy adams of the present throughout the entire film whenever she's in one of these altered time states uh and i at first i wasn't sure why they chose to do that but then after you find out what the twist is it's like oh of course because if you saw an old amy adams uh with her child who's been alive for 20 something years then it, Isn't it, was it, it wouldn't make sense in the movie it made it seem like she was in her teens but i don't know they probably were careful with it but that's the one part of this movie that probably doesn't read the same in both directions only because they're trying to not give anything away there um subtle but i had that same well, thought she, she ages well i mean they probably just put on less makeup and hid her crow's feet less well and maybe did a little touch up in the hair but honestly right. you know it's, very it's not as if you're going to change to a wrinkled old hag in 15 years especially if you you know i i, I the only thing that the thing that that struck me about this both it doesn't it's not a timeline question is the story of how she comes from a family that makes her independently wealthy because there's no way on a professor's salary that she could have that house in the <laughs> yeah. lake all I by herself it's another one of those fantasy movie houses. Boy, it was a beautiful house. Her beautiful parents gave scene, her the but... house when they when they uh, went into the home and and right. uh, you it's know a, that's a hell of a place. It's, for, it is a hell right. of a place. It's a show. It's, it's a in, showcase. It's shot in Quebec. I thought it was out here actually because yeah, yeah. it looks it, like a, exactly it, like Lake Washington. It looks like Lake Washington. I had that same thought. I just assumed that she was in Seattle and that was <laughs> exactly. Lake Washington. And and, yeah, maybe, and, then, and since since the author is from Seattle, right? Isn't Ted Chang yeah. from Seattle? Exactly. So, yeah, he's so a local I, guy. I assume that that's that was at least an homage to that, if nothing else. I think so. I mean, I think they set up the community in the college that she teaches at. I don't know if she's a community college, but it has that feeling of like a 1960s built community college, um, just the brick and whatever. 
So, Aline, this is the time where we should talk, since since Makeup and Amy Adams came up, we should talk about this. And, and it's something, in, like I said, in the review that I read, too, which is Amy Adams, look, this is a movie. Amy Adams is made up in this movie, but she's not made up to be, like, glamorous. Glamorous, it, it's, yeah. She's made up to be, like, a person living their life. And that is uh, not usually what happens when women are in movies. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think, as I said at the beginning, I think that's part of why I love this movie so much is it's because, um, I mean, there are a lot of ways I can relate to her, but one of them is uh, I, I don't wear makeup every day. And some days I don't even brush my hair. Uh, I work from home. So um, often work from home. <laughs> so, you know, it, and there were times when it, it looked like she had gone directly from her cot on site to the computer to, you know, the, the, I don't know, blueprints of, of the language or whatever. And, and I loved that because at no point was she, well, okay. At one point she was kind of dressed to, to the nines with every hair in place. Right. But the rest of the time she just looked normal and right. that's not something I get in movies. You know, we get, hair's precisely in place and perfect, you know, whatever winged eyeliner. I don't even really know what that means. And, you know, things like <laughs> that. And so it it was so refreshing to see someone look real, to see a woman look real in a movie. And not only that, she looked real and she was respected. Yeah. And not only was she respected, she turned them away. Like she did not uh, bow to the government, you know, to the what was what is his rank? Colonel, general, whatever Colonel, he was. Yeah. Colonel. Colonel. Okay. She did. He she was like, OK, walk away. I'm better. You ask him this question. You come back to me. You will come back to me. And and she was just I don't know. She was strong and amazing and respected and real throughout the movie in a way that I don't know that I've ever seen. Can I ask you about, there was a scene early on that I thought set the tone to is when they go in the tent and Ian is introduced and she is not introduced. I'm like, oh, the colonel is doing that typical thing of disrespecting a woman. That's now going to be a plot point. Then he takes her to the other tent and says, she, this is your team. You're in charge. And I went, oh my God, this is not what I was expecting. Yeah. I don't remember. It wasn't set up in the story. She is part of a part of a team. She's not in charge, but just the casualness, uh, casualness of a military leader, like, doing what was directed here. Ian, this is the team you're part of. Boom. Louise, this is your team. These are the people working for you. I had that moment, too. I was like, oh, he's going to say something weird to her, and I'm going to get mad. And I did not. I was <laughs> I was thrilled. Yay. And I super like, she just, she did whatever the F she wanted. <laughs> like, she, you know, she saw the whiteboard. She took the whiteboard in and was like, this, this is what I'm doing. She, um, you know, t- took off the hazmat suit in, in the cavern so that she could communicate better without, you know, permission, without vetting it with anybody. She just did it. And I, I don't know. I really loved seeing all of that. It, it just, um, in a way that I can't really express, uh, only to say that, you know, this is, this is why representation in media matters, why women need to see ourselves depicted, why people of color need to see themselves in amazing roles. So I've got t- uh, two notes. One is um, I like as this movie progresses, the the um, the San Francisco Chronicle review by Peter Hartlob said it, it literally looks like Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner just kind of like kept shooting and sleeping in their clothes and shooting. Yeah. It really, it feels like they're, they're, 
you know, so many movies can make it where it's like, yeah, I know that they're actually out there and working uh, around the clock and they've been there for weeks, but they're, they totally got it together and they look beautiful and fashionable. It's like, nope, they, they, they look like they got uh, thrown on a helicopter and put out in the middle of nowhere and are getting no sleep and are trying to figure this out. And it really works for the, the idea that they're trying to work this problem and figure this out. But they, they do look like they've been sleeping in their clothes and it's and it's good and it's effective. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say, uh, talking about Forrest Whitaker for a second, is the Colonel. I really like Forrest Whitaker. I mean, Forrest Whitaker's great, but in this movie, I really like him because it's very clear that his job is to be a conduit, and he's not like we see in so many movies. This like totally bullheaded military man who's gonna who's gonna say, "Oh, you scientists, you don't even know." He he's very much like you need to explain it to me so that I can explain it to them because the the people I'm talking to don't hear you and I need to, I, you know, I need to make this all work. And that's his job is to be that conduit. And he doesn't, he pushes back on them, but when he does it, it's for good reason. And it generally is because he knows the politics up the chain. And I really liked that, that, that felt like a much more realistic performance uh, of a, a and, and, and a character and a role in this, in this story. And, and, you know, Force Whitaker did it really well. And more importantly to uh, Louise's whole story of her being plopped down in there or whatever, she comes in and, you know, she, she does the thing where she tries to be assertive with with uh, the deal being made for her and, and her competitor or linguist or whatever um but when she eventually goes there she is you know nervous about what it's going to be like and she tries to assert herself but forrest whitaker makes it clear that there are opposing forces here and so it's not like she comes in as just all of a sudden in charge of everybody and is you know it is it is a it is a nice balance like it's not as if the world lays down before her and merely because she is assertive everything goes her way immediately there are challenges. There are there are other powers in charge that she has to deal with. She has to be convincing to them. She gets pushed back. She doesn't get everything that she wants immediately. It is it is a much more reasonable example of multiple people all trying to do the right thing with strong personalities and skills coming to an agreement. And I would say, like for both this and with with the uh, women who aren't uh, constantly in ridiculous makeup. Sci-fi does both of these things better than many other genres because very often it involves multiple smart people all trying to do the right thing, working towards a common goal, which is a nice thing to see. And you don't see a lot of other movies where they have to have like a villain all the time. Um, and not that there are a lot of them, but if, of all the genres that that are well known, sci-fi is more likely to uh, than others to have a woman character who is not there constantly made up all the time i mean there's not many examples but like the, the when i was trying to think of other characters that are like this uh women who are allowed to do a job and not constantly be glamorous women who are allowed to to look damp and sweaty because they're <laughs> they're they're in a hot spaceship or they're on the 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 fog-ridden plains of uh, montana or whatever you've got ripley in the alien movies uh you've got a series of you know female marines in various future scenarios where it's not all about the glamour that's basically the only time they allow actresses to appear not you know not look like they they'd spent two hours in hair and makeup before they arrive and we go uh, back to jodie foster in contact right? <laughs> right right i mean she's got a ponytail right and she's running around <laughs> and she's sleeping in her clothes and i mean i i you know she's obviously probably more made up than amy adams in this but i still think like you know in these movies they still have a scene where you know jodie foster gets dressed up in the fancy dress for her one scene this, and this one has the yeah. meeting with the ambassador and they're fine like you you give them that but the rest of the time 
you know, because of the, because of the settings. Like if if you're going to have Ripley running around on the spaceship and she's not going to be wearing like you know princess Leia outfits the whole time. She's not she's not a princess. She's not, she's working on the ship. The ship is gross and it's filled with you know temperature fluctuations and and moisture and aliens that drip things on you. And you mm. know she's allowed to look like that for the whole movie and it's fine. One of the moments that I really like for Amy Adams is when she is explaining uh, the question that uh, the general would like. Uh, sorry, the colonel would like them to ask what they would like to get to and oh, yeah. how he doesn't feel like they're moving fast enough. And she breaks it down in a really amazing way that uh, dissects all the complexity of, of the problem that uh, is in front of them. It, it takes something that looks so easy and presents you with every facet of, of difficulty in communicating with these beings who you've just started to refer to in terms of names. Uh, so it, it's quite nice, uh, and it really it reinforces her particular strengths uh, in a way that none of the other characters in the film are able to provide. Even the scientist doesn't you know, Jeremy Renner doesn't understand really much of anything uh, about communicating with the aliens. He's yeah, sort why, of along why was he for there? the ride. He's like the he's like the bimbo in this movie. Why was Jeremy Renner there? He's just there for eye candy. He's to help. No, he's, he's supposed to be the science guy, but he was so little help with the science. So, he, but they need to have little... a baby. So you need a guy and a and a, a lady. <laughs> I know. And they, it's, they have it's some an special time. It's an interesting role reversal where normally like the woman would be there just to be like every once in a while say something to show. Yeah, no, I'm really a science person. But you know, he he's supposed to be on tap in case they you know they shoot out a bunch of physics in the story. There's there's uh there's more of that. They're not a team like that. They just work. You know, it's a, it's set up differently. But I think they carried over that feeling into the movie without any of the actual like. Oh yeah, they're teaching us some physics as we go, but we can't figure out how to talk about physics because their conception of physics is a totally different thing than ours. Yeah, he, the only thing he had in the movie is he got the he got the one in twelve point. He got the they put all the symbols up and he figured out the one twelfth fraction, and that's essentially his his entire contribution. He wasn't even particularly supportive of uh, of anybody. He just kind of came in and is like sitting back and watching. I mean, he's a supporting character. It's fine, but it's it's an interesting reversal where normally the token woman would be the one who's there, who has the supposed job and is allowed to demonstrate her skill for some simple thing. Um, oh, well, one could argue this is within the structure of the film. The reason he's there is because he was there. Yeah. Not because, you know, you he had to be there because he had to be there so they could fall in love and have a child. That's just... Well, I mean, they had they do have important conversations because like I think right. the, the most important role is like aside from the romantic thing is the buddy angle the two of them kind of come into this together yeah uh are kind of in over their heads together like uh, one, of, one of the more important scenes i feel like uh, as as the turn was revealing itself was when they're sitting out there just like away from the camp for a little bit and just talking and uh and you know talking slash mild flirting colored by the weird situation of saying like you know boy it must be handy to be an expert in communication and she says believe me you can end up alone even if you're an expert in communication <laughs> which works in both directions because mm-hmm. you're like oh yeah no she's she's alone because whatever wherever her scientist husband for i don't even know if her, her husband is a scientist at this point you know wherever her husband was wasn't there when her daughter died earlier in the movie so boy she must be sad but uh you know as we learn later she's also alone before that so that statement works fine in both directions and it shows that they are you know they they have a connection yeah so uh i want to talk about the art direction a little bit before we talk about um some more plotty things and talk about like i know i mentioned some of this before the spoiler horn but like i like the weird texture of the spaceship 
I uh, like the mm-hmm. weird entryway into the spaceship. That's an example where how do you take a 70-page story and you make it into a movie? Well, one thing is you go through, instead of in two sentences explaining how you get into the spaceship, you take the time to slowly drive out to the spaceship and get on the thing that's going to lift you up to the place where the gravity changes and now you're going sideways and when you look back, you're looking down and all of that, right? I almost yelled out in the theater, don't look back, don't no, look no, down. No, no, there's a moment where where somebody, is it Jeremy Renner maybe, is like totally freaking out. Oh, and, yeah. and he looks back after he jumps and oh it's like, no, 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 do dude, that. don't do that. Don't do that. But I really liked it. It, it. it is atmospheric and it's one of those things where they could have skipped ahead, right? But the first time you go into the spaceship, you're going in with them. And it's it's like, it's a weird, rough like a like a lava rock or something and they've got they they've jury rigged this dumb you know human tech to get you up the lifter to get you up and then the gravity gets weird and i you know i liked all of that i thought that was all really clever and i enjoyed the fact that we took the time to set the mood of like entering this alien spaceship thingy i will say though i well i well i agree um, that afterwards I did think, you know, that's not an especially inviting way to talk to people that you need <laughs> to be want. friends They made with. the air the right, so they can breathe <laughs> yeah. in it. They did so much. They made that beautiful hallway. They sculpted it out. They got everything the right height for humans. You want them to have a lift too. You know, you want a ladder. Jeez. <laughs> You bring their own scissors. Basic lift. intelligence test, Joe. It's like putting your name on the paper. It's the least they could do. They came light years to get there. The least you could do is bring a scissor lift. I love the mechanism, though, because that was that thing where you're like, as a sci-fi nerd, you never see real sci-fi in enough movies. You see stuff that's an approximation and a simplification. And the idea that the aliens just obviously have control over gravity. They've got their hovering ships that are hovering in the air the way that bricks don't, right? To quote mm-hmm. Douglas Adams. Yeah. And uh, and then they have the weird opening because it's just convenient because they just control gravity. And the, the transition where the military guys have already mastered it, so they leap out. Amy Adams does a good job. And the jerk. Jeremy Renner falls on his face, which was, again, a reversal. You're uh-huh. like, you're expecting him to be suave and whatever. Like, no, he gets to trip. Well, but a- that, Amy Adams had to be helped. I noticed that part. I was like, why Why do you got to help the woman and then just leave the man to do it? I think they redeemed it by having him actually. By having him fall on his no, face. Exactly. I mean, like, like, that's why you it, it just It shows the, the unequal treatment of that. It was one of the few things <laughs> that no, I noticed. I think it makes sense. Yeah. But I think that the idea that they have, because they control gravity, this is a logical thing for the aliens to do. It's the most convenient thing for them. And then everything is sort of like it's. You know, it's got that wonderful texture. It reminded me a little of brutalist architecture, the kind of nubbliness of it. Um, but uh, they go into a room, and it's just a very plain room, and it's got a big piece of glass in it, and uh, there's there's aliens there. It's, yeah. so it's the, the hard the hard sci fi part of me was picking it nits around this this section about the whole idea of like, look, you get, you bring these people onto the base. You really going to bring them in there without telling them exactly what they're in for? They yeah, did tell yeah. them, oh, they're behind glass. Like they gave you enough hints so that the audience kind of knew what was coming. But obviously, you would you would tell the people. Did you hear the dialogue when they were coming in? There was over there was a, a talking going on while Louise and Ian came in, and one of the scientists said, "Yeah, that we at the end of the session, the gravity changed and it just slid us gently out." Yes, and it's just like a little bit of background conversation, but they're not briefed on it apparently. I mean, like maybe the audience wouldn't have to know, but surely those two people they would right. tell them exactly yeah, yeah. what they're going in for, instead of them being surprised when they throws like the light stick up there, and <laughs> and and they've got scientists there. Wouldn't you think? Like, pretty much the only thing the scientists would be doing would be like, how is this ship hovering there? Right. Get the instruments out now. Like, this is the most interesting thing that you... It's it's observable. There's a gigantic thing, and it's not falling. Why don't you guys get on that? Because that the, is... That's interesting. Other team in the tent. And they're like, eh, other, we'll, we'll just go Other talk team to in them. the tent's working on that. There are a bunch of teams in the tent. 
there's a physics guy and he's just not he's like what you gotta you know take get some instruments like get some measurements like do something go in there with a tricorder and wave it around just look like you're doing something instead of just driving out there with pickup trucks and saying well suffice it to say there's a giant thing hovering over us let's disregard that and go up into this hole yeah yeah i i think the, the 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 thing that made me uh stop for a moment was was the idea that surely they would be briefed in detail before they were put in hazmat suits and sent into the spaceship right. Right? Like, what do they look like you'll see you'll see don't worry about it and i think there might be some dialogue but you know the idea of like there look, is there's, there's there's little bit we want you to clear. start fresh and the last guy is left and we want you to just right. see this with open eyes first before we tell you anything about it but come on it's really so be you're the eyes of the audience it was so clear that the characters didn't know though it's fine for the audience not to know because that's like suspense for the audience but it was so clear that the characters yeah. didn't know what they were in for and so then you're like you should have briefed the characters but maybe they did because, I mean, honestly, if you were in a room with someone and they were like, yeah, the gravity's going to like kind of shift 90 degrees and you're going to go leap and then fall to your feet on the wall. Like, I don't know that I would be able to really comprehend that until I was actually doing it. And I think I would actually feel a lot of anxiety about it because it's completely foreign. So, I mean, I agree. I don't think they were, but maybe they were. And it was just such suspended belief mm-hmm. and disbelief that that they just could wrap their brains around it until they actually had to do it. I don't know why they're freaking out standing underneath this thing the size of a mountain that is not falling on them for some reason. Like, So, <laughs> so is, okay, is it okay for us to stand here? Should we drive the trucks right under this thing? Cause... I love the uh, claustrophobia, though. I thought they did a wonderful job of making yeah. us feel like we were Louise in that moment. We're watching it. You're trying not to hyperventilate. You don't know exactly what's going to happen. And then it's 15-foot-tall elephant-like cephalopods. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, other bad choices on this base. Uh, don't let the military people there watch Fox News. Oh, yeah, they would never be allowed to watch <laughs> I, don't, like I don't that. think this is a standard military. procedure. It's like, okay, well, you're off-duty military people. Now watch a bunch of paranoid lunatics Yeah, it's rant. like conspiracy, conspiracywebsite.net is what exactly. it was. It, yeah. In your free time, feel free to watch that. Yeah. That's fine. It would have been total radio silent. They wouldn't have been able to watch TV or Skype calls or anything. I have some issues with that entire plot line, which we can get to, but I wanted to ask about the aliens. Uh, does anybody have any thoughts about the way that the Abbott and Costello, our friends, the aliens, are, are depicted? I feel like, I don't know why they made a window where you could only see their knees. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it's the, reve- it's the you, get, you get the reveal at the end of the movie, but I feel like as far as window placement, if, if I was meeting a bunch of aliens, I wouldn't make a window so they could see from my knees down. It's the heptopods. Go figure. They don't, they don't. Uh, they don't think like us. And also, I was disappointed they weren't wearing clothes. I'm not saying that aliens have to wear clothes, but the number of <laughs> naked aliens in sci-fi movies is wow. like, all right, come on. The law of averages. Some of them got to have some kind of fashion thing going on. They all have to be naked. We're not naked. Seems like a thing you might do. They're they're all in Star Trek. Uh, don't, yeah. don't project your puritanical <laughs> values on the heptopods. Uh, I'm just saying, like, um, some of them are going to be naked. I'm fine. But, like, there should be some percentage of them that have clothes. And I was just trying to think of the heptopods with, like, a little jacket. You know, like a little bow tie. Is this like panspermia, but for clothes? Like everybody wears clothes everywhere, or no one wears clothes anywhere except on Earth? You're using them to regulate your temperature in some way, and then eventually they become fashion as your society becomes more. It's not not inconceivable that anything looks kind of animal-like, because these aliens are always like, they look like animals of some kind. They have joints and skin and muscle and so on and so forth, but never any clothes. The yeah, Fermi clothing paradox. Where's everybody's clothes? Nudity is the universal state. Sure, that's it. Also, I have some questions about their writing technique, which seems to require a big glass panel. Like, how do they how do they communicate writing with each other when there's not a big glass panel? It's hovering in the, the air. It's hovering in yeah. the fluid. They're in a fluid environment and it hovers. 
Is it? Yeah. It looks gaseous. It looks like they're in a cloud, kind of. Uh, the yeah. exact makeup is never yeah, really it's un- unspecified. Cleared. They're in a, yeah, a, a a foggy medium of some sort. Yeah, like when she enters later on, uh, there's there's writing. It just floats. I don't know. It, it, like, I mean, I I kind of understand the art direction. Like, I shouldn't be overthinking it. It should be like what it, this is the type of thing that works so much better in writing because when you do the visual, you have to pin it down to something, and when you pin it down, you're like. That's probably maybe not. I don't know. Like you know, you don't see the advantages of it. You see, it looks cool, but practically speaking, you know, spraying ink and letting it coalesce into shapes seems massively inefficient compared to the supposed you know advanced uh, advancement of their writing. You know, but it, it doesn't get to it in the film that they kind of are they're they're creating a simultaneity of of uh, thing at once, and I think the movie conveys it very implicitly. It's explicit in the story. It's a big hunk of the story, and I don't know that they, Jason, I don't think they expressed it as well in the movie why that was. I think they did a pretty good job. There is a scene where Amy Adams says, imagine writing, you know, writing a sentence with both hands, starting at the beginning and the end and meeting in the middle. That's right, what that's right. what they do is they, they encompass the entire thought and then they put put it out there. And, you know, they're, they're, they're squid-like. They, they express ink in the and and I, I just i like about it that you know they're alien they're very different from us and there's difficulty in communicating it's not it's not bumpy headed star trek aliens and i like that about it that they are that they're so they're so different and weird and uh that's what aliens if we ever meet aliens they're gonna not be like some animal from some part of the earth except intelligent right they're gonna be very different uh, and this is a good way to do that, even though, yeah, they are sort of like octopuses, sort of elephant hand octopi. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a bit the bit there that that thing with the um, the aliens and the glass is a really is a trope, though. And I thought they handled it reasonably well. Like I'm thinking of uh, Independence Day with the Brent Spiner scene pushed up against the glass, and I felt like there's so many opportunities in this film where you think you're about to see something that gets you into horror, and you find out what the reveal is. I mean, I knew the story. I didn't think they'd change it that much, but I still thought, is there something coming that's going to terrify me? Like it's going to change the whole meaning of it. And I don't know how watching it without knowing the story, if you felt like we were on the verge of something terrible happening with the aliens and then that never resolves. It turns out the aliens are just great. It's everybody else who sucks, you know? <laughs> yeah, they did, they did a job of not having like music cues to make you think all of a sudden some bloody thing is going to, they didn't have any jump scares. They didn't have anything making you think there was going to be jump scares. They didn't have anything making you think there was going to be a aspect and i appreciated that mostly because my kids were there i didn't want them to be scared i I would say that when she put her hand up to the glass though there was sort of the anticipation of a jump scare like uh she she's firmly interacting with the physical environment at this point uh and what will the alien response to that be whether it is physical or uh they're repulsed by somebody touching it or whatever like it, it there was there was no clear path forward for what that would wind up taking place what will wind up taking place but it was it was fine all right uh plot stuff so let's talk about those uh those angry uh military guys with their conspiracy websites and all that this is this is a part of the story that i don't love but i see why they did it it's the entire uh we're we're communicating with all the other countries and then we're shutting it down and China and Russia are causing trouble. And then we've got our own uh, guys who've decided that they're going to blow up the thing or whatever. I understand why this adds a layer of, of suspense and action and threat, especially the very tense scene where they're in the, 
in the ship talking to the heptapods while the bomb is about to go off. It's, it's the literal Hitchcock thing where they have a literal bomb yeah. that the audience knows is there and the characters don't. Yeah, but but you know what? The aliens know it's there and they and they sweep them out. The aliens take their up. sweet time though. They do. Yeah. <laughs> they do. They leave it to the end because they, they like a good. Uh, they're like, they're, like, they're, like, they're building suspense. They're like, they're like, we could tell you about the bomb behind you, but first, let's just talk about some other stuff. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't love this part. I, again, I know why it's there. There's somebody who says, you know, we need a little more conflict. We need a little more excitement. How about, how about an explosion and some gunfire? But I, uh, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't so this love was it. my favorite bit of not the plot part, which again I think is just there because it's a standard part, and it, I think it does help the movie. But the way it was handled, I thought, was really different than i would expect it so here's the things i liked about how it was handled first of all it was it was telegraphed pretty obviously they kept showing that guy's face you know he's he's on the call fine they did just what they needed to do right so they go there they plant the bomb we see the bomb it's got a timer on it with the with the standard seven segment display that timers will always be made what are they going to do when bombs don't have that display on that anymore anyway that goes up um and they and what they show you then is like really only this other this guy's face who's been there the whole time going should we abort should we abort i totally want to kill these aliens oh did i say that out loud like for the whole earlier part of the movie we know it's going to be him then we then they show him down there they send up the bomb he's got other people with him you can't really see like they're just like just send them up whatever then they show the close-up of them unpacking their weapons unpacking their guns like and so it's clear that it's a conspiracy essentially all of them are like you know they're saying all the military stuff like you know take good shots blah 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 we can do this but they only show them opening the gun cases and they show their hands from above right almost as if you're looking out of the tunnel down at it and they don't show that gunfight they yes, don't that's true. show the gunfire. like they, they show the trucks coming towards it they show them opening up the stuff and then from within the cave area you hear some gunshots, but like we don't see that whole battle because, and I love that. But it's like I don't care about that guy. Yeah, I don't care how that battle turns out. I I understand what you're getting at. You don't have to take me there. Just just sketch it. Just be like, don't don't go down because so many other movies would have had that battle scene and had cut back and forth between the battle scene, the bomb talking to the aliens, the battle scene, the bomb talking to the aliens. They stay with the people in the room and they don't even cut back to the bomb that much, right? I love that. I love that I was not forced to spend time with these yahoos down there having their gunfight, or even with the good guys coming with the pickup trucks to try to stop them. Like, I know how that's going to go. You've established that. You've done it, whatever. Now we're in the room with the bomb. And I really appreciated, again, light touch on all of that, that where they just drop enough into the water to let you know these are the things that are happening. You've seen this in 17 other movies. We don't need to show you that stuff. Let's show you the stuff we haven't seen, which is talking to these weird aliens, advancing that plot. And, oh, yeah, there's a bomb in the thing. And I, and I thought the way they resolved the bomb with the little force push, the, the seven-fingered force push uh, to save them and, and float them gently into the little gravity tunnel and all that, uh, I thought that was that was really nice. And I do appreciate a good explosion in the middle of a sci-fi movie. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. That was a nice explosion. I want to bring up the – I want to circle back about, the, about that last bit, too, is that um, – uh, Abbott does this because um, they know it's going to happen, right? This is part of what we find out as we develop further. You look back at the scene, you say, these aliens knew exactly what was about to happen because they know. And this is this is an echo of 
Amy Adams not changing the death of her daughter, even though ostensibly maybe she could or she could not have conceived the daughter. Like right. in, the, in the movie, in the book or the story, rather, the daughter dies in a climbing accident. So conceivably, if she could change events, the mother and Louise might have. In this, the movie, they make it essentially if you have this child, she's going to die of this rare incurable disease, which is a different set of stakes. So I think they set up Abbott in the same way as the alien knows it's like the doctor, right? He knows this death is coming. Somebody knocks four times or the the bomb is about to go off. Abbott's entire life is clear to him that it leads up to this moment when he commits this event, which has this consequence for his race and for this whole mission. And that's just what he does, knowing it the whole time. So I think it's a light parallelism, but it comes in sharp relief by the end of the film. There's one mechanic in this film that I can't get behind, and that is the <laughs> the tons of fake news that are that are oh. in here in the media clips, oh, with the yeah. fake networks, and the graphic overlays for uh, countless <laughs> needless uh, organizations that we don't we don't need to have any concept of. I, I feel like that was uh, a complete waste, and I especially hated the montage of all of them all together blathering on about. Uh, the events that are going on globally. Yep. I, I don't really think that that added anything to the film. Uh, I found it to be really distracting. And since we know it is completely, absolutely 100% fake uh, from from beginning to end, uh, I don't want to see it. Um, it. If it's supposed to be some sort of plausible world near our modern day, then it should either be networks that we're familiar with or it should never be seen at all. And uh, it, exposition can come at us through any other character that is available uh, rather rather than this mechanic, uh, which I feel is kind of lazy and something you see in like zombie movies. Yeah. You know, again, not to bring back Contact, but I will say this for Contact. Contact got a bunch of people from CNN to do stuff for Contact with the CNN logos and they showed CNN's coverage of them launching their, their machine and all of that. And they edited together like clips of Bill Clinton Bill, talking Bill Clinton, yeah. and, you know, and they made an effort to say, okay, this is what it is. It's like, it's CNN. You're seeing everything. It's exactly what you're seeing. And in this, yeah, it definitely felt like a TV show with a fake, you know, a fake news anchor with a fake logo. And I, I, I agree with you. I, 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 that was not my favorite thing about it. It's like one notch up from the spinning newspapers kind of thing. So I don't want to bring, I don't want to bring everybody down, but I do want to explain why in the end this movie didn't, didn't hold together for me. All right. And why I, I, I will tell you a, you're uh, wrong. So that's fine. Exactly. Fair enough. I, I mean, like I said, I, there's, there's so much I like about this movie that I don't, I don't regret having seen it at all. And I, I really like that it was made, but, uh, for me specifically like this, to to spoil it entirely, like this this movie, the the turn in this movie and the general plot hangs on as presented in the film. I don't know what it's like in the book. The barest of threads. They mention the Saphir Wharf hypothesis or whatever that you that the language that you use influences your way of thinking. Yeah. Right. They throw that out there in case you're not familiar with it. It gets one line, and then the whole turn in the book is by learning this alien's language, it will change your way of thinking, and. It changes your way of thinking in such a way that time is no longer linear. And that is a really important thing because that's all about the turn or whatever. And I that doesn't hold together for me. The idea that the secret of these aliens would be it's like learn French and time is no longer linear. Nope. Sorry. Not happening. Like, I don't care how fancy your language is. I don't care if you write in a circle. Learning a language is like weird language plus sapphire warp equals time has no meaning no yeah. i don't i don't accept it i don't get it all right and so that that you know it doesn't hold together for me personally and then the second part is 
assume it does hold together. Assume you accept that as like, all right, whatever, hand wavy, hand wavy. This is this is the plot of the movie. I think that like what they, I think what they were going for and didn't accomplish for me is I, I shouldn't feel like Louise is a monster for having a child, and I kind of feel like she's a monster for having her child. Because she knows how it's going to turn out. Yep. Presumably she accepts that there's no way she can avoid it. And she does it anyway, which strikes me as one of the most selfish acts you could possibly... Because it's... Maybe you want to have those moments with your child and treasure them, but the the poor child. Like, bring someone into this world who you know is going to be... To die a terrible death. Uh, it just... It seems, I mean, because you're not like, well, maybe, and, you know, like, you, you now see time as, like, an unbroken thing. Maybe she has no choice. Like, I, again, it's not, it's not emphasized enough to, in the movie. I can't tell if, like, this is going to happen anyway, and she embraces it and is able to accept it, versus, no, she actually does have a choice, and she could choose not to do it. So, it, I, I don't think that's what they wanted me to feel. I think they wanted me to feel like uh, this is an inevitability, and embrace the magic of time no longer being linear, and you seeing the matrix and having it all be of one continuous thing, uh, and and then accept her doing this thing as as a beautiful decision. But like, it's not like I, I I don't I don't see her as a monster. I have empathy for her character, and I appreciate it. But there's that little corner of it saying, but yeah, did did she really make the right decision? Maybe not. So that's that's nagging at me. I, I think that's the beauty of the end of this movie. Is that um, well? First off, I disagree <laughs> that if, <laughs> if if she well, I disagree. Yeah, I know. Broadly, I do disagree. But in specific, I'm going to say I disagree because what you're arguing is if you know for a fact that you're going to have a child and you're going to love them and they're going to love you and you're going to raise them and then tragically later in life they are going to die for some reason, you should just not have them and they shouldn't exist. And I think that's wrong. I think that's monstrous. And the reality is, you know, all of the children we have and bring into this world are going to die. That's life. Not when they're 18. From from a very rare it's, disease. It's just before the they... length of time. Like, if your life is long I know, but enough... it's, a, it's a significant thing. It's a significant thing. I this mean... is a choice people make. If you have Tay-Sachs, uh, you know, if you have two successive traits, uh, as an Ashkenazi Jew, I feel this very strongly, that there are people who make the choice to not have children at all, and people make the choice to have children, knowing what the genetic outcome may be, and that their child might live to be from age 3 to 18 and then die, you know, cystic fibrosis, other diseases, they still have children. But, but that's maybe, of, like, this is, in this universe, we're led to believe that, like, it's not, it's not a question of, like, well, there's a possibility and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, this is how it's going to go down. You know it ahead of time. So I think the way time works in this movie, what happens, happens. And that's one of the beautiful things. It's a very 12 monkeys-like view of, of time. But, but, then, but then she doesn't get credit for doing a beautiful thing because she had no choice. The things that happen, happen. Happen. Well, what is what is the free will? It's a good question. Here's the thing, though, John. Your point of view is represented in the movie because it is strongly implied that that's the reason Jeremy Renner leaves her. Well, yeah. I mean, who had you know? I I have. I'm not I, I don't on have his sympathy side. for him not being with his dying daughter, but like he's an, he's another person who got who got you know screwed over by her decision because she didn't include him in the decision. She just said, oh, I'm, you know, let's have a child together. Psst, I'm not going to tell you, but guess what? This yeah. kid's going to die horribly. I know this, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to tell you about it. So like, 
he, he got suckered into this. Like, no, until he, she until she's know. age seven or so, then he's gonna then she's right, gonna tell and him. then she's gonna yeah. tell him it's like well, this is like the worst possible thing. Like you didn't tell me in the beginning, which is not fair to me because you knew how this was gonna turn out and didn't tell me, right? And then you do tell me halfway through. By the way, this is gonna end horribly. Huh? Uh-huh. So I don't even get to enjoy the rest of my daughter's life. You could have just not told him the entire time. So I'd say the truly selfish move is saving yourself, is preventing your child from having any life at all because you don't want to be hurt when they die. But there is no child at that point. There's not. You're not preventing anybody from having anything anymore. You're then you're preventing all the kids you didn't have from. But living. there is. She knows who. She knows everything she knows about she her child, child because yeah. she can see the future. See, so and this goes back to your other point, which is you just don't you just don't buy this idea of, of yeah, the premise of language. You the, can see the time, premise of the not, entire thing, which is you know it's science fiction. I, there are lots of things about, but that's not that science fiction. Buy. That's fantasy. That's just fantasy. Like there's no scientific. Just because there was there's a thing called Sapphire War hypothesis. One of the ways people think of the arrow of time and think of the way the universe works is that it actually is all occurring simultaneously. Everything yeah, no, that has I'm, happened. I'm all on board with that. Happen, I just I don't think learning a language uh, is going to give you mastery over time. Oh, but we don't know that that's what it is. In the structure of the film, the aliens give her a weapon. She's, pursu- you know, that's part of the thing. A tool. They talk about it as technology. Well, they say it's because you learn the language. Once you learn the language, it changes your way of thinking. That's that's all you've got in the movie. She goes into the strange medium. They're teaching this language, which unlocks something that's a, tech- a technology, but they're talking about it as something that's part of the mentality, right? That this language unlocks a capacity, which is a very science fiction thing. It's not fantasy mm. to unlock a capacity. If we accept that there are aliens Aliens who can see nonlinear time, why could they not teach the ability to see nonlinear right. time to someone but, else? I'm saying, like, that wasn't in the movie, though. All we got in the movie was Sapphire Worth, learn language, yeah. time un- un- time unfolds. Like, there was no no thing in the movie to tell you, like, oh, we're altering you by being in this mist or anything like that. It was see, merely more, just... more footnotes then. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it just wasn't <laughs> there. Like, there was there was very little to hang your hat on to, to explain why this... And, and I would say, like, it's it's only vaguely plausible unless they're alter, altering the biology to be like... Like, we can take a human and give you the ability to do this thing. Like, I don't think there's anything that can be explained to humans that would let humans see time in a nonlinear way and see the future in the past. Like, even if I accept that there's any kind of being that has this mastery over this uh, aspect of the universe, the idea that talk therapy or just hanging out together and learning some stuff can give you that. It doesn't, it doesn't hang together sci-fi-wise. It hangs together fantasy-wise, fine. It's like, I'll give you the true sight or give you a Doctor Strange type thing. Yeah, all thumbs up. But sci-fi... Not very sci, very fi. I disagree. Time travel yeah, and the I perception agree. of time is a fundamental principle of science fiction. That right, but you got to ha- you got to have something to hang your hat on. You got to have some. So kind she of... unlocked, but she unlocked the capacity by language. Made, it turns out that She's language only is using ten percent of her brain, right? And then that, she no, goes well, and, no, they uh, didn't do that. Yeah, Joe and I were talking about. They didn't do that. No, it, it's the idea that she's not unlocking some latent capacity in your brain, but it's a way. It's a point of view. Uh, yeah, that but she the, has, point the point of view doesn't. A point of view doesn't make you not incinerate. But the ships hang in space too, though. I mean, the ships hang there, and you know, in the over the field. And that's a form of science fiction. We accept the idea that she has the capacity to see time in a in a holistic, a, you know, complete fashion uh, because the aliens have already masked this. Because they've done it, it's capable for her to do it. And language is the key that allows her to see simultaneously. I, I would have been happier if they didn't have if they didn't mention Sapphire Wharf, if, because that was the only thing they gave you was like by learning a language. You, if they didn't mention that at all, but merely said she goes into the mist and now she can do this thing, then you can just make up an explanation you want. You're like, well, the aliens can do it and now she can do it. The story makes it easier because in the story, she has no ability to change time. Not exactly. You know, Jason, I just reread it. And I after this, because in the movie, it's clear that she can sort of change events, that there's some kind of loop going on where you don't see where it starts and ends. There's a paradox. I, I don't I don't read it that way. You don't. Do you read it that she can change nope. events? Because she talks about she can't. Nope. I don't. 
I don't either. The way I read the movie is that time is time is the way it is. And when she knows about it, she knows about it. But that's all she, she was does. able to create a paradox somehow, though. So that's part of yeah. the but we don't know how that paradox was created. Right. Yeah. Like w- the general calling the general and then he's the one who tells her the things. That's that, true. That's yeah. a, that's a, that's a I, loop that happens. But does, I don't, I'm not sure she creates it. Right? Well, I'm not sure either. It just, it exi- but something it just ha- exists. Sometimes, you know, a lot of other science fiction resolutions, when you have a loop like that occur, a series of events that happen essentially off camera lock you into a certain kind of outcome because they ripple back and forth through time. And then you're seeing the outcome, but you can't see the cause. And that's all, you know, some good sci-fi about that. But in the, in the book, it's seemingly very explicit that she her consciousness spans, but she's unable. She could never have told. So she tells jo- Jeremy Renner, right? She tells Ian in the movie this thing about the future. She reveals the future to him, which ostensibly would change things, except the notion is that she are always told him that and that she remembers how why he left, you know, in the past. She knows why she told him that in the future. But isn't that changing history, changing time? Uh, the, the general is the most problematic thing in the movie because, it, I mean, it can be explained by saying, look, the general learned the language, too, because the general is there. And the only in-story reason for him to saying that is because he knows he has to say that because that is essential for, the, you know, the earlier events. Right. He could learn it later. It, it's not it's not naturalistic. It's not it's not as if he just happens to say that and she learns it can go back. He comes and says, I think it's probably important for me to show you this. And also, let me tell you this. Like, so he and. He could be doing that if he also has gained this ability to see time and realizes that this is an important thing to do, and that's fine. Uh, it's just not they don't they don't say in the movie why he's doing that, but they make it very clear that it's not just oh she has a glimpse of the future and using that information she's able to be convincing in the past. She has a glimpse of the future in which the guy she's convincing gives her explicitly for no other in story reason this information for the express purpose of causing the past events to happen. No, that's that's a fun scene, but I don't really love it because I I feel it feels like a, yes. a scene from another movie. It feels like yes. a scene from, mm. you know, Looper or you know some other kind of time travel shenanigans movie, and that's not the movie that I feel like I've been watching up to this point. In Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, they <laughs> yes. remember yes. that they escape, so they yep. put the key right. to escape yep. there, and then there's we'll the trash remember. can. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Can I point out one other thing too? Having read the 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 story and the movie, and I really do love the movie. I think it's very. I, I agree with Aileen's four and a half stars. What I give it out of five, but um, the I think that there's a graft in this movie to give it. There's like the core story uh, uh, that's in the short story is I think told beautifully and almost completely and in most ways almost identical. I think Jason, um, th- I don't know if you agree that it's, uh, that they preserve the core feeling and nature of the story, but then there's this additional like. Contact, and I kept thinking about contact too, um, or even Lake House. In fact, there was a little bit of that, like inexplicable time travel, information time travel, was kind of grafted on top to give it sort of a conventional veneer that would allow an arc of, you know, something has to happen and the world's going to blow up. In the story, the aliens show up, the, the reveal, I'm going to, Am I going to spoil this for you? The reveal is that there's no reason they're there. They're there because they know they have to be there, and then they go, and that's the entire and and so the movie is or the story is a meditation on what you know, your internal state of mind, how you perceive the universe, how you deal with this knowledge that's terrible, and the fact that these aliens, because they can perceive all of their time at once, their whole lives at once, not the future, just their whole lives, they come and they go, and there's no purpose for it. So you're left to close one, rather than this one coming, because, hey, we need you in 3,000 years. The whole subtitle scene, I think they could have removed all the subtitles, and it would have been a better film. 
Like, just had her in there talking to them, them painting things and her going out and doing the thing, and it would have been much better. I enjoyed the we're here because we will need you in 3,000 years. Mm. So there are two things that bothered me about the, the, the movie that made it four and a half stars instead of five for me. One of them was that whole scene with the general where he, like, shows her his phone and then tells her exactly what she says. And I kind of, I felt like... Um, she would either know or not know, you know, that's done in science fiction where it's just kind of hand waved away and not really explained. So I didn't really love that scene. And the other thing was, uh, as Joe mentioned in the beginning, the hair during that whole scene where she's like on the ship in in their environment because it was so distracting. I was, they were so overly ambitious with the, the lack or reduction of gravity and her hair in that yeah. environment. Yeah. I, 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 I was cringing the whole entire time. It's supposed to be a really emotionally impactful moment. We're describing the death of uh, one of the the characters uh, who who threw them out of the little airlock thing inside of there. And we're discussing how in 3,000 years it's going to be important for the human race and all of the things about the weapon and seeing through time. And it's just like the whole entire time I'm just staring at these weird... Brassy <laughs> waves moving around, and are just yeah. like this is awful, guys. This, this is kind of one of the situations where where the visual effects are are in a hard place because if you've seen like people on the International Space Station with long hair, hair in zero gravity looks weird. Like it doesn't look it doesn't look graceful. Like it just kind of you know it, it just it doesn't do things that you wanted to do in a movie it looks very strange to us so there's a lot of there's a lot of those youtube videos with whatever woman is up there doing uh experiments she's got very long hair and she's got it in different styles and different times and it just kind of bounces around awkwardly and sticks out at weird angles and it just it is not flattering it is much better to make it look like pretend you're a mermaid underwater and also you're on a playstation 4 and now your hair is waving and it's <laughs> Uh, artistic yeah. license, but maybe maybe they need a little more money. So the end, the very end. I, I what I love. One of the things I love about this movie is I, I love how beautiful it is at the end. That we there's a the moment where she says, "I realize why. I just realized why my husband left me." And he says, "I don't. I didn't know you were married." And it's like <laughs> you know, you she's actually realizing she's figured out like how this is going to go from here on out. Um, and I, I, I think that it's a beautiful thing that she's been in the movie. She's been, and especially at the beginning, she's talking to her daughter and talking about the story of her daughter's life. And we've seen these hints about like mommy and daddy talk to animals, you know, and things that are giving her clues about this, that in the end, she gets this much bigger vision that this is that she is uh, going to have a child with Ian. And it's the child that we've seen all along. And, uh, and she's going to go through that whole process um, that leads to, you know, her daughter growing up and then her daughter dying. And I, I think it's sad and, and beautiful. That, and and the idea there I take away from it, I'm curious what all of you take away from it, is that if you look at any life on a long scale, there's tragedy and there's happy things and then you die. And so you have to, you know, if you're a heptopod, you just have to appreciate the happy things that happen because, you know, we're all bounded by time. And, uh, I, I, you know, I thought it was a, I thought it was a beautiful, poetic um way to end a, a movie about uh, aliens who live in a big floating spaceship. I also agree uh, that it's very poetic. Uh, I, I do have 
some things that I've thought about since then about the mechanics of it and uh, what the ramifications would be on a global scale, especially like, why would you be throwing a party 18 months later instead of being like, oh, I wonder what this time travel is going to do to the stock market. Uh The thing, though, just about the aspect of Luis and everything about Luis, I I love that. I thought that was a very beautiful story to tell. And I love coming full circle to uh, the drawings with them and the canary. And then uh, also when she's back at the lake house and pouring glasses of wine. There were those empty glasses of wine, which are on the uh, table by the door at the very first shot of the movie as the camera pushed in on that. And this we take to mean is the night of the, uh, the night of the daughter's conception, basically because because of the moment of the voiceover that's happening right there. Uh, and the fact that Jeremy Renner's outside and she's bringing him a glass of wine. Uh, but that that also ties it back in with what we saw and these these things that you thought were things you might have thought were flashbacks uh, earlier and and makes the film feel very coherent uh, in, in that regard. So I, I like that element of the construction. I like that. I just I like the I I think I like the bittersweetness. I think that's a thing yeah. that I like. I think I like that it's sad and happy at the same time. That that like that that really works for me. Uh, I thought it um, was sort of. Perfect. And um, I said at the outset, I'm, see, I'm circling around because my memory works in big mm-hmm. blocks of time now. We finally ex- um, uh, explained is, Glenn and how he works. Exactly. Now you understand me. The, um, Glenn is a heptapod. I, <laughs> how did you know? Um, the, I always knew. Uh, the bit about, very good. The bit about – this is why the story, as I said at the beginning, always gets to me is I feel like – and you have talked about it throughout too – is it's the, um, the nature of being a parent is that you're always creating some – part of life that you don't know how long this creature you love so much is going to live. You don't know how long you're going to live, whatever, but you might live to see your child die, which is a terrible, terrible thing. We know we may live to see our parents die. That's much more likely and reasonable and and also horrible. But seeing a child die is the worst thing. And the story plays with that idea about that having almost having the choice it's like but you don't have the choice in the story she clearly doesn't have the choice here we you know i I'm, it's interesting that different people think she did that she had any free will there but whether she did or didn't that choice is made and she's now fervently you know deeply conscious of it from that moment forward and um that it just hits me so hard to think about it that i think it it overwhelms any of the sort of you know tacked on bits that you know where global issues are are brought in i think to you know heighten the um dramatic effect where it's really some level this is a very small movie yeah. it's about a few aliens and a few people and a, and one life and um uh and it's it's funny how small it feels even though it brings in the global things well i liked it a lot i i uh to echo a lot of the thoughts that uh i think uh several of my panelists had at the at the very beginning here at the end see we're wrapping it all the way back around uh i thought yeah i thought it was i thought it was the kind of movie that i like to see i hope they make more movies like this i think it is the perfect execution in a lot of ways of adapting a good science fiction short story into a film which you know original properties in Hollywood, not so common anymore. Uh, And, you know, science fiction short stories are the perfect thing to mine for movies. They are a good match. And this is a good story. And 
as somebody who read it five years ago, I could not imagine a better adaptation of this. Mm-hmm. It is There is so much care, and there are so many things they could have really screwed up. And they took a, a lot of care with the way that this uh, screenplay is written, and then the way it's directed and shot, and and the music, and all of that. I think they did a very good job. Amy, Amy Adams is amazing in it. And so, yeah, it, it, I have I enjoyed Arrival more than I've enjoyed a movie uh, in multiple years. I'll put it that way. I, I thought it was great. So, so I can't say how good of an adaptation it was because I didn't read the story. Seventy but pages. It was definitely, it was definitely a good movie. Maybe I should just read it. It was definitely yeah. a good movie. But like you know, like I said my my quibbles about it don't make me have any ill will towards this movie at all. And I think for me to to get over the things that bother me about it, it wouldn't take much. Like the the way I would fix this movie is get rid of Sapphire Wharf. Don't have the language be the gift. Have her merely get this ability through some other hand wavy means that doesn't try. That they don't try to pin down to some concrete. I like thing. the language. And She's then, a linguist. I like it. Yeah. Right. And then, but but then the the real thing is like the thing that you, you all got out of it that I wish there was there was more of is the idea that it was there and the, it's there in the first scene. But I feel like when they wrap it up at the end. There's a little bit too much linear time. The idea that after she receives this gift, that her experience of time is not like mm. ours. So she is not live. She's not choosing to do a thing and living through the, like she sees the whole of her life at the same as we were all saying, sees the whole of her life at the same time. And if you can imagine seeing the whole of your life at the same time, you can see either with this child in some portion or without the child in some portion. And when she looks at the whole, when she looks at the ring and says, well, I want the ring that has the kid part in it because i'm looking at the whole thing i'm not you know and it's not she doesn't do if she does a transformation it's not expressed to us well that now she is different than essentially every other human who doesn't have this ability because she is not living her life from one day to the next marching through time checking off things on the calendar she is instead experiencing and viewing her entire life at once and from that perspective all of her quote-unquote choices which aren't really choices make sense and give the 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 heartwarming ending i just feel like this that you have to bring a lot of that to it because by the end of the movie they make it seem like she has like oh and now we're in the present and i'm making these choices and i'm just going to live out my days and i'm just going to let it go which is Mm -hmm. which is not for it to really work for it to really resonate and maybe the book does this better i have to really internalize the idea that she is not continuing her life from this point on but but she is now and has always been and forever will be experiencing her entire life at one, at once uh, at, in one giant ring. In the in the book, it's or sorry, it's made clear. You like the story better, I think. In the story, it's made clear that from the moment the language affects her, that she now sees it from that point to her death, but not beyond. Yeah. The aliens may have longer lives. Um, and Jason, I have to agree with you too. This is I can't imagine a better adaptation of a book that I love so or story I love so much I just uh, you know it's not perfect in every way yeah. I don't like some of the plot add-ons but oh my god it's uh, I think it's it couldn't have been a better adaptation yeah and I, I think yeah the impression I got and the way I read the movie is that she is basically kind of not unstuck in time because that's not quite right to use the you know slaughterhouse five but it's that idea is like her her view of time is broken at that point forever like she is hopping around between all the different things that happen in her in her life, and that's just how she is now. But uh, you know, but books can make definitive statements, and movies have images on the screen, and you have to read them. I I was I've been wondering about we see her at the end, kind of teaching seminars about this language. She has the book about the language. Right. Do other people have this ability, or is she so superior in her linguistic abilities that she is the only one who can see? Oh. 
forward well, through time. Merely teaching the language surely wouldn't give you a view of all of space time. So I think she's the only one with the gift. That's my head cannon. <laughs> it's just your it's just your own life though. You don't see all of space time. The aliens may live to be thousands of years old. My impression is that because they needed humanity in 3,000 years, they gave them the language as a tool plus the schematic to build whatever they need to get built so the aliens can have their help in 3,000 years. I mean, that's none of that's in the book, but I feel like in the story – I'm sorry, nobody in the story except the linguists who meet the aliens ever managed to learn the language again yeah, either. And so, my, my, my take on it is, is uh, you can teach the concepts of this alien language, but until you – Basically, what do they say? Until you start thinking in it, until you start dreaming in it, that's the moment where now your perceptions <laughs> widen. And that's unclear to me whether she can now teach, uh, you know, native uh, heptopod B or whether this is just, you know, all she can do is sort of uh, teach you the basics and, and you'll never be able to see it like her. I, that That is left to the imagination. Well, you need, you really need, it's like, you need to go to France. You need to be immersed, yeah, right? right? You need to hang right. out with a heptapod okay. for a while in a cave that's right. to really that's, get the that's language. That's why they only, you know, in, in the good schools, only heptapods can teach that language class. That's right. They don't yeah. have non-native <laughs> speakers teaching. No English allowed in the classroom, just a series of loud farting noises. Yeah, Ooh. everybody gets an ink spray bottle and they pump in water. And then they all start getting to work about speaking. The but language. everyone's hair floats. Uh, and I just, I just, just one note too is uh, Stephen Wolfram and his son were involved in creating the language, which doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, and they, I like they, the, you know, they basically have like an iPad app where they build the language up. I thought they, I thought they yeah, visualized yeah. that pretty well. The idea of how do you that have this great. thing that's like a, a circle with things on it that looks like a really weird sort of uh, way of of doing a written language, and uh, I thought they did a good job with that. We should have introduced them to emoji though. Say, hey, have you seen Pile of Poo? Your rings are great and all, but... (laughs) All right, well, that has been a... It's been a nice conversation about a fun movie. Uh, I hope you've all seen it if you're listening to this, but if not, you should should go watch it because it's good. Uh, I'd like to thank my guests. Doesn't matter when they listen to the podcast, though, does that's it? That's true. I suppose that's true. Once you listen to this podcast, then you will understand all podcasts that, no, that's not how it works either. Uh, only when you're dreaming in podcasts. They, they have to be immersed. They do. Living with the you podcast have to live, You have to live where the podcasts live, in the podcast land. In the, Move in with Jason for a month, and then you will then see all then podcasts falling backwards in time. I'm going to have you clean the cat box while you're here, though, so be, be warned. All right. Uh, thanks to my guests for being here. John Syracuse, thank you, as always. I have no hate in my heart for this movie. That's good. That's good. It, it, uh, one day you will see nonlinear time. Uh, there's so much of it, you won't even believe it. Joe Steele, thank you. Be, be excellent to each other. <laughs> thank you. Whoa. Uh, Aline Sims, thank you. Thank you. And Glenn Fleischman, thank you for going to be here. Well... You know, I knew it would come out this way, but I still showed up. This was a ple- this was a pleasure. Oh, good, and will be uh, eternally in nonlinear time and space. Uh, thanks to everybody out there for listening to this edition of the Incomparable. We'll see you last week, or next week, or now. <laughs> <laughs>